Welcome to Inside Aesthetics, the podcast for cosmetic, wellness, and business insider knowledge. I'm Dr. Jake Sloan, a cosmetic doctor based in Sydney, and I'm joined by my co-host and good friend, David Segal, an entrepreneur and a multi-clinic owner in the aesthetic space. We'll cover any topic that makes you look or feel good with long form, unbiased, and unfiltered conversations with expert guests from around the world. New episodes are released every Friday and you can subscribe for free on your favorite podcast app, including Apple Podcasts and Spotify. You should seek medical advice before undergoing any treatment or procedure, and these podcasts do not replace a professional and bespoke consultation. This podcast is brought to you by Salter Medical, the company behind Fraxel, the original fractionated laser. Gents, how are you? Hey, how are you? Good morning. Good morning. How are you going? We are very well, thank you. How's it all been up in Queensland? You guys have dodged the bullet, it seems. We, uh, we've we been very, very fortunate. We've been very lucky in Queensland. You, you're you both in Sydney, right? Yeah. Yeah, we're in Sydney. And Jake, Jake, you come up here every so often, don't you? You're I do, yeah. Well, I've only managed to come back three times and then obviously, you know, lockdown hit again. So yeah, the yeah, aim yeah. was to come every eight weeks, but yeah, it just hasn't yeah. happened that way. So yeah, yeah and, and you're in Brizzy as well? We're in Brazil, yeah, absolutely. Uh, nice. Yeah, and very, very lucky. Um, you know, we we simulated. I, I thought she was going to lock down again after the grand final. I was at the grand final. I thought, yeah, once the sire, final final whistle goes, uh, everyone gets home, and then Monday we're locking down. But um, look, you know, yeah, you know, whether you whether you like the politics or not, um, um, you know. A lot of people are quite quite uh, you know counting up counting a lot lucky stars over here, I guess. Yeah, and how's your practice been during this period? Has it been sort of relatively business as usual? Are you busier? Are you quieter? Uh, it's been it's been very interesting. Um, once again, we've had short periods of lockdown, mm-hmm. uh, and even during those periods, we continued with our medical and surgical side of things. We stopped the cosmetic. We we stopped the purely aesthetic things, right? So we didn't do injectables. Um, I was still treating scars. Um, um, you know, with body contouring, things like that, we, we stepped away from. But fortunately, once again, we were quite lucky. Those l- pure lockdown periods were quite short. We continued on. Uh, and interestingly, after that, we we had the biggest um, 12 months ever. Yeah. Um, and uh, that's that's a that's a sentiment that you, you've probably heard e- echoed by a number of other clinics sure. um, because, you know, people are working from home and, you know, there's, there's uh, probably a, a bit of expendable income for people who are not traveling, mm-hmm. you know, holiday expenses, things like that. Absolutely. So we're here today to, to talk about an, in- an interesting topic. Um, we're going to take a deep dive into like fractionated laser treatments, in particular the Fraxel laser, which was, I guess, the, the pioneering piece of technology that been out for quite a while now, but it, it sort of revolutionized the way that we approach laser treatments. Um, for, for, I guess, you know, before that you had like sort of your full ablative lasers where you're sort of taking someone's whole face off and you've got weeks and weeks of recovery. So we'll, we'll get into that. But before we sort of start talking about the topic of today, just so that the listeners know a little bit about who you are, can you just tell us, you know, your background, why you became a dermatologist, you know, what you love about your job, and, and then we'll sort of take a bit of a deep dive into that, into that discussion piece. Yeah, sure. Um, so I'm, I'm a laser and aesthetic dermatologist. I don't do very much general dermatology anymore, apart from supervising uh, dermatology trainees. Um, and I've been in private practice in Brisbane, uh, for about 10 years. I've been doing dermatology, um, you know, including my training for approaching 18 years. Um, 
Uh, you know, to give you a bit of a, a background on, on how I ended up in this spot, I, I all through all through medical school, I wanted to be a plastic surgeon. So, you know, if if you meet anyone who's ever met me back in those days, they they'll always go, "Yeah, you know, Shabin always wanted to become plastic surgeon, plastic surgeon." And um, when I was an intern and a junior doctor, um, it was very hard to get junior positions in pl- non-training junior positions in plastic surgery. But I managed to wheel and deal my way through getting an intern. A JHO job or no, junior junior doctor job in a hospital, uh, but the plastics job came with um, piggybacked with the dermatology job. So you had to look after the dermatology unit and also uh, partake in derm clinics. When I was doing that, then I started enjoying the medical side of dermatology. Uh, but more than that, I started being exposed to uh, lasers and energy-based devices, uh, which the plastics guys weren't doing quite as much. They, it was mainly derms doing that, uh, and I sort of started gravitating towards that. Uh, I probably have a shorter attention span than than required for for long plastic <laughs> surgical procedures as well. So, you know, I, I can't I can't do a, a nine hour hand surgical procedure. But um, what really suits me is energy based device treatments. And and so when when I finished my training, I trained in in Queensland and in, in some of the top institutions in dermatology uh, institutions in Queensland. Spent a bit of time in the UK um, and came back, finished my exams, started off in private practice. Um, and then started seeking uh, mentors uh, who could guide me in in laser. Um, and there weren't too many in Queensland. There wasn't anyone in Queensland. So I, we, we sort of traveled in state, uh, met some of the guys who were still mentoring me to this day, uh, had an opportunity through them to meet um, uh, um, laser dermatologists in the states and the godfathers of, of, of laser dermatology, the, the likes of Mitch Goldman, et cetera. Mm-hmm. Um, so, uh, you know, it, it was a privilege to sort of spend a bit of time and, and uh, learn under all of them. And then bring that back and, and be able to practice in, in Queensland. So uh, now, now my big focus is laser and procedural dermatology, particularly uh, laser rejuvenation and scar treatments. Um, but because of my experiences, I also spend a fair amount of time training. So we we have two trainees at the moment uh, who spend a year. You know, um, we get trainees from Australia. The, the current trainees are from New Zealand. Both of them from New Zealand. Uh, we'll have a Sri Lanka trainee next year as well, um, and we are. Uh, also created a, a, a in the process of creating a, a, a training organization known as dermed.com.au. Mm. Um, so this then enables um, uh, nurses, therapists, junior doctors, general practitioners uh, to get an insight into dermatology um, to do that safely, and also then branch out into aesthetics and particularly energy-based devices. There's a lot of great aesthetics courses out there. There's a lot of um, injectable courses, et cetera. Uh, but there's probably a little bit of a gap in, in pure dermatology training and, and also uh, energy-based training uh, at a level that I think uh, would, would be great for this country. So um, that's what that's what my focus has been over the last uh, little while. You miss cosmetic physicians on your list. Can I come? I'd love to come. You, ab- <laughs> absolutely, absolutely. Yeah. You, you would, we'd love to have. Oh, that would be fantastic. And the, the Der- Dermed, to be frank, in, in the opening gambit is is um, mainly targeted nurses and therapists. Uh, but you know, as it progresses on, we'll, we'll start sort of expanding on that. Um, my most of my time uh, outside of Dermed is is spent in clinical practice at uh, my clinics in Brisbane. There, we we have a group of clinics known as Brisbane Skin. Um, we have three clinics here in Brisbane, um, and uh, 
Um, interestingly, a little 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 uh, insight for you, a little uh, tidbit that'll come out very shortly. We've also just uh, last week become the first dermatology practice to be aggregated into a big group in Australia. Oh wow! Mm, um, so we're, we're thank you. Um, so we'll still be branded as Brisbane Skin, but we'll be part of a, a larger group that'll include uh, dermatology and cosmetic clinics. Um, this will then sort of uh, enable us the opportunity also to sort of develop that uh, the training side of, of things with uh, with our business. Is that a world exclusive for us? Did we get an exclusive? <laughs> <laughs> you, you you might have had, but pretty pretty close to a world exclusive yeah. outside, outside of my my friends and family. <laughs> awesome. So uh, we'll get on to I guess the topic of the day, which we're going to keep quite broad to start with, which is skin and its quality. Now, you know, this is one of the most common things that our patients come to us for, particularly, you know, derm as well, cosmetic derm. And yet I think we should probably try and define what we mean by, you know, skin and and aging and and what is good and what is bad. Because I don't think a lot of my patients even fully appreciate appreciate either how good or, or bad their skin is sometimes. They come with a very fixed um, goal of, you know, dealing with their frown lines or their lips or their volume, mm-hmm. but they don't really understand the canvas. And the, this crops up in so many of our previous podcasts. So do you just want to, from a derms perspective, I guess, just sort of talk through what happens when when you see a new patient and you're, you know, assessing their skin? How, how would you define good skin? Uh, that's uh, that's excellent question, Jake. And uh, both you gentlemen, uh, just from... Um, uh, looking at you now, we've obviously been looking after you for <laughs> years. It's called, and, it's called and, Zoom and filters, <laughs> show uh, Yeah, we've got the beauty filter on. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, but it's it's interesting. We we always and and when I'm uh, training my team, for instance, we always talk about skin health. Um, it's not just injectables. It's not just laser. It's about uh, doing a thorough assessment of your patient and understanding the health of their skin. Um, now that could that could there's a number of things that detracts from the health of your skin, um, and we can talk about the internal factors in a minute. But when you're looking at a patient, you're 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 uh, looking at features such as you know, dyschromia, which is abnormal pigmentation, uh, vascularity, lots of redness, lots of capillaries, blotchiness. Um, you know, you, uh, genetics and, and skin type often dictates pores. Um, fine lines and wrinkles as a development, either intrinsically as, as you're getting older and genetics or extrinsically, this is external factors like sun exposure, smoking, etc. Um, and then, um, then you're looking at, uh, volume loss as well and, and volume and volume loss. So as, as you're getting older, you're losing volume, you know, as, as you gentlemen know, all the way from the surface of the skin, from your epidermis, all the way down to bone. Um, and that really sort of, um, contributes um, in conjunction with gravity um, to where you end up with um, at a certain age, you know, whether that's 40, 50, 60, 70. Um, so like you said, Jake, it's a, it's a canvas with many layers. Um, it's important to make a, an accurate diagnosis of where that patient's skin is at a particular point of their life. Um, other factors such as, you know, their, their general health plays a role as well. So, um, you know, what's their diet like? What's their, what's their general health? Are they smokers? Are they, are they big drinkers? Um, their hydration levels. Um, I did a recent podcast with a, um, nutritional, uh, physician in, in regards to, you know, antioxidants taking, taken orally and, and dietary, uh, dietary, um, you know, the, the, the benefits of, of natural antioxidants in diet versus supplements. 
Um, so the, those all play a role, and it, it's good to be able to understand. You know, that's a it's a it's a whole separate podcast. Yeah. <laughs> you, you, you we'll get you back. It, but yeah. it's 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 important to um, get a, a, an understanding of this with each patient, and we try to do that over a number of sessions. Obviously, you don't do, you know you'll get a basic assessment of of a patient's needs and their skin type when you start off with, but as you build build a relationship with them, then you get a bit more of an understanding on where they are. Would you agree that? Your average patient doesn't really, um, I don't know if the word believe is right, but they don't really believe when you say to them, look, the smoking, the sun baking every second weekend and, you know, having a pretty poor diet. They, they don't really believe you. They think it can all be fixed with a few creams here and there and, you know, a bit of anti-wrinkle. Or, or, or do they actually buy into what you're saying? Because they certainly don't believe me. <laughs> <laughs> I guess it depends on how convincing it can be as well, right? Yeah. So um, the the I, I think you're right. A lot of them don't. I think we're certainly in 2021. They're probably believing it more than they were when I first started private practice. So uh, it was a much harder sell in 2010 about smoking and sun exposure and things. Um, our policies with sun and education with sun exposure has been you know, better than many other countries. So I spent a World Cup in Brazil a few years ago and. Uh, uh, certainly, there there was no slip slop slap campaign <laughs> over there. You, you know, life lots of g strings. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, life is life is on the beach. Um, yeah. So, I think I think we're better now than they used. The, the patients are better. We're better. We're better at explaining ourselves, and there's more evidence out there in science as well. Uh, but it is still difficult. Yeah, and I think that um, one of my observations. Um, through all my years of owning clinics and interacting with patients and injectors and and so on, is that um, it seems that every year that goes past, we become more and more expecting this instant gratification in terms of how we how we fix ourselves. So, for example, a patient will will turn up to one of uh, Jake's clinics and want a treatment, and they're going to want to walk out looking amazing. And it's like, if you can't provide an instantaneous fix, it sometimes feels like it can be difficult to get a patient to understand that there are other treatments that need to work in conjunction with injectables. And we'll get into this later in the discussion, but I just sort of wanted to sort of preface it now is that the purpose of this? I agree. Yeah. I agree completely. And it, it's, it's the social, social media, Instagram yeah. world that we live in and mm-hmm. um, that, that, that translates yeah. there too. And so I think that, you know, where I'm going with this, and we've had an interesting discussion completely separate to this, but there is a bit of crossover with Dr. Steve Harris over in the UK who's sort of championing this sort of overdone alien-esque kind of look. And I can't help but feel that a lot of this is people using more and more cosmetic injectables, which definitely have their place. They're an amazing, amazing sort of part of our industry. But if you don't have the right underlying structures um, doing what they're supposed to be doing, then people like Jake find their job very difficult because they're just continuing to pump in product. And then you start to morph people's faces into what they don't even look like themselves anymore. So this is, you know, where this discussion comes in is treatments that we're going to talk about today to support what people like Jake do and all the cosmetic injectors that are listening to this discussion. Yeah, I totally agree. And, um, yeah, come back to what I said before. I think a lot of patients, when they really do have good skin, they don't really know it. They don't, they don't value it. Mm. But those patients who also have very poor skin, 
just think, well, I can compensate by doing something else. And, and that's where I would refer to someone like Shobhan or Davin or, you know, someone who's an expert with a laser because I just can't, I can't get that canvas right. I need to get rid of the elastosis and those fine wrinkles that are never going to go away with toxin or even a superficial filler. What, what's your take on that, Shobhan? Very, very much so. I agree, agree with that completely. There, there's so much synergy. That's what I keep keep explaining to people. It's it's not one or the other. It's not exclusive. Um, and I work very closely with plastic surgeons as well. There's even one that works uh, with us in our clinic. Um, the 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 idea is there's a place for all of this. There, there are things you can do with surgery that you can't do non-surgically. If you need a facelift, you probably need a facelift, right? Uh, you can't you can't lift a neck more than a certain amount. Um, if you need resurfacing, you probably need resurfacing. And if you and injectables work hand in hand with providing the volume and relaxing appropriately. Um, but you're you're right. You can't. Um, and the, and that's part of the, the the big part of the education. And we find um, and and we spend a lot of time. And my therapist spend a lot of time with patients, um, sort of almost almost re- give, giving them a whole frame shift and their whole education on on skin skin health. Uh, as they're going on through their, their journey with the practice. Yeah. It's like giving people a filter, but with a laser. <laughs> <laughs> well, kind of, yeah. yeah. You know, Because that's what would happen, right? I mean, when you have these amazing um, laser treatments or like resurfacing or, you know, fractionated treatments, it can completely just wipe away years like off your appearance. And it's like, it's almost like having a filter. Yeah. I I love your Instagram show, but you've got some beautiful before and afters where there's a sliding image. So you can really appreciate rather than just looking one photo to the other, you you see the change as, as that sort of image changes. And it's, it's amazing. I think, you know, if you're a patient or even a injector and you don't quite understand the differences of what a laser can do, have a look. I thought it was a fantastic. Um, can you just talk us through what, what, how skin normally ages just so people get an idea of, well, what is normal and, and what is, maybe not so normal and what and some of the symptoms of skin aging and maybe some of the times when certain like landmark not, not landmark but i guess milestones in sort of the the average person i know it's going to differ between males and females and you know if you've got dark skin or light skin there might be some differences but just also some of those milestone points where you're going to start to see stuff you probably don't like seeing <laughs> <laughs> so it, it's interesting so we've, we've done a, we've done uh, just recently we, we've done a paper on uh, uh, energy-based devices for photo aging. So we put together, you know, a little bit of a chart on how that all progresses, and and it's interesting, that, you know, as uh, when you're looking at younger people, when you're a teenager, and we're you know potentially early twenties, you're looking at at skin that's uh, uh, potentially you know young, fresh, but unfortunately uh, can be quite sebaceous, quite oily. Um, there's often problems with acne, um, and it's also the, the the time where patients start developing if you have fairer skin or more sensitive skin, a bit of rosacea, a bit of redness, um, and. In females in particular, that can sort of then go on to your 20s and you have this um, this uh, phenomenon known as adult female jawline acne, which is a, a real bother. It, it, it starts later, lingers on longer. Uh, there's a hormonal component to it. Uh, but uh, the bad thing is, and, and where they often see me, um, is you often end up with this jawline scarring, which can be quite, quite problematic mm. and actually pull sort of the lower parts of your face down. As as you get older, and males and females, as you pointed out, and, and skin types differ, um, but if you you start developing, you know, you start losing volume, sort of, you know, in your in your late twenties and, and early thirties. Um, 
So, you know, it's, it's bad to say that you've sort of peaked at that point, but you know, that's, that's genetics. You are, you are sort of starting to change. Um, you do start first noticing surface things. So, you know, patients will might notice their freckles, freckles darkening up or some of their freckles starting to thicken and becoming you know, what we describe as flat seborrheic keratoses. Um, they might notice, especially if you've got fairer skin, more vascularity. Um, you know, telangiectasia, capillaries, broken vessels start forming. And particularly if you're you're uh, someone who spends a bit more time in the sun, it becomes, um, you know, you, you speed everything up. So, you know, if you spend more time in the sun, uh, you look at 20, what you're supposed to look at at 30 or 40. Um, so, you know, that's, that's fast forwarding things. Um, you also, you know, start getting your first signs of volume loss. So, um, you know, the mid face, you know, some, some people start noticing the eyes, uh, start, start becoming an issue for people in their thirties. Um, and then as you know, things progress on a little bit further in your forties and fifties, and once again, genetics play a role here, um, and skin type plays a role as well. Um, and, and uh, environmental factors like sun exposure and smoking, that's when you start seeing, uh, more issues with your finer lines and wrinkles as well, and more progressive volume loss. Um, the wrinkle, you know, if you're a smoker or if you're female, unfortunately, you end up with deeper lines and wrinkles around the mouth, particularly, um, and um, around the eyes. Depending on how much prophylactic medicine, you know, if you see Jake early <laughs> um, and 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 do some very very uh, judicious prophylactic. Um, muscle relaxants, um, you can, you can prevent those deeper lines from forming. Um, and Jake, as you know, there's, you know, there's so much that's happened in the world of sort of hydrating skin as well over the years. Mm. And, um, and, um, uh, gentlemen in a, in a sort of anatomical level, I guess what's changing as we're getting older through the, that period of time is, uh, your skin is thinning people, you know, you, the, you, you're, um, you, the, what used to be a nice solid, um, dermis is, is thinning. Your epidermis is thinning. Um, you get what's known as elastosis. So instead of nice, beautiful collagen and elastin in, in waves, you get clumping. And, and, and that's particularly an issue if you've got, had more sun exposure. That's the sort of thing that energy based devices are quite useful. Lasers and energy based devices can break down and make you form new skin. Um, uh, or more, more plump, uh, plump elastin, more plump uh, collagen. Um, and your vascularity changes as well. So you lose a volume and then your vessels are all a little bit stringy and, and not held together quite as well. As a result of that, older people, people in their 60s and 70s will often complain about bruising easily as well. Um, so that's a little bit of, I mean, it's a, it's a, it's a broad topic, uh, but that's a little bit of a, uh, an overview on, on how things progress over the years. I thought that was great. Now, before we get onto lasers and, and the cool stuff, that's those bridging treatments like um, biostimulatory fillers, skin needling, um, you know, that kind of bridging treatments where it's still non-surgical, but maybe not a laser, where do they fit in in your practice and, and what's their limitation as well? Because I see a lot of injectors claiming that they've got this magic thing that they can just, you know, fan through the skin or the neck and and claim that they're going to get rid of all that sun-damaged skin. And I just, I don't buy it. I think you have to really hit that quite early. Otherwise, I'll just send straight to you and, and not mess people around, to be honest. Yeah, no, it, look, early you know, prevention is always great, right? So if you, if you get them early, it's quite good. 
Um, I like the idea of biostimulators. I think they're great. Um, it's, there's a there's a big part in our practice with the, in regards to that, um, and we use it also for um, for patients who have scarring as well. It, it, it sits very nicely with that. Um, um, low level treatments like microneedling, you know, are, and then sort of bumping that up into radio frequency microneedling um, and non ablative devices, even even things like microdermabrasion and, and uh, those low level LED treatments, for instance. Uh, there's definitely a role. We we'll, we'll often use it as maintenance treatment um, between heavier treatments. Mm-hmm. Um, all of our patients end up on a you know our, our philosophy is to have them on a maintenance plan, um, similar to what your cardiologist would if you had a heart attack. You'd, you'd see him regularly, and, and he'll have you on a maintenance. Um, we like to do that with skin, um, and for younger patients, I think. These things like skin boosters and um, and and um, uh, low level needling procedures and LED, uh, I think, and simple peels like sal- low level salicylic acid peels, uh, lactic acid peels. These are all great as as uh, uh, opening gambits into or opening forays into into skincare and, and gets uh, people uh, at a younger age understanding their skin, appreciating and edu- educated on skin health. Uh, but you, like you said, Jake, it's not. You can't, yes, you can't throw it at an eighty-year-old with you know terribly wrinkled skin, you know, big sunspots, scaling, on uh, and, and expect expect miracles. Um, so it's about uh, patient selection, which is always the game with uh, with everything that we do. Yeah, and where do you think most people go wrong? I mean, the patients. I'm sure you see you know hundreds of patients every week. Where do you think people go wrong mostly? Was there any sort of common mistakes or thing misconceptions that that sort of people continually seem to assume or make? You know, whether it be like diet or, you know, they're not drinking enough water, just sort of simple things. I think we get two groups of patients. Yeah. We get patients who do too much and then we get patients <laughs> who don't do enough. Yeah, <laughs> it's so true. Yeah. Right? So, um, so they're, they're, the ones who do too much are probably, and, and sometimes these are the younger patients who um, get very excited about everything that they read and there's so much information out there uh, that they'll overdo things. They'll they'll layer their retinols with an alpha-hydroxy acid and, and then have a peel and then have LED, then go get their injectables done and then they you know come in and they've had a rash or you know they've, they've flared up their rosacea or you know, something. You, you almost have to get them to stop everything mm, yeah. and then restart. And, and reintroduce and re-educate. Um, so that's probably you know, probably the most common group of patients that we see. <laughs> and then you get the the ones, and and there's there's a partic- you know, particularly common with with males. Uh, you'll you'll get males who've never done anything, and females, but particularly males who've never ever looked after their skin health or their general health, and then eventually get forced in by their partners to come in <laughs> to see us uh, because either they're starting to develop a lot of uh, precancerous or cancerous changes on their skin or they're starting to look uh, pretty terrible. Um, and so they, they're urged to come in. And interestingly, even that group of patients, once you start um, start helping and treating, um, they, they can become quite different individuals and, and start uh, appreciating how much of an impact uh, the skin has on them, uh, both, both pr- uh, personally and professionally. Yeah. It's, it's funny. You're talking about people doing too much and I, I don't know what's caused this. Maybe you can shed some light on it. No pun intended. Um, <laughs> with people that get maybe too many laser treatments done, you see these people, they've got this flawless skin. They don't have any pores on their face at all. They look like an anime character. You know, is that from, is that from too much laser? Is, is there so, such thing as too much of a good thing? Uh, there, there definitely is too much of a good thing. <laughs> 
<laughs> it's it's about the and and without mentioning names, you, you know, when you when you watch your movies, you'll know a number of uh, Hollywood um, a listers oh. that are. We can that name and shame here, Shogun. Dramatic. We can name and shame here. It's okay. <laughs> <laughs> no one's listening. <laughs> um, <yeah>. No, <laughs> but 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 you know they've they've transformed significantly over yeah. you know decade, two decades, and and they they're looking. You know, super porcelain or, or you know expressionless and um, you know it, it's a, across a number of industries um, Hollywood sports you know, social media these days um, there can definitely be too much of a good thing um, and there's a difference between health and skin health and just overdoing aesthetics um, and um, that's one of the philosophies of my practice has always been not to overdo things as well um, and I guess it's, it's interesting patients and staff, uh, tend to self-select. So, <laughs> you know, the ones that like our philosophy will end up with us. Um, and similarly, the, the, the clinicians in our practice tend to have a very similar aesthetic or philosophy to, to what we have, um, which is a bit more of a natural look and a natural re- rejuvenation. Um, there are patients will come in and just go, I don't want any lines. I don't want any <laughs> freckles at all. And I don't want, you know, I want volume here, here, and here. Um, and they, you know, we'll, we'll do things as responsibly <laughs> as we can, uh, to try to, you know, give them satisfactory results, but they often do find that they, they self-select and, and find, um, someone who will overdo it for them. Yeah. Now, um, I guess the topic of today is is fractionated lasers. But before we get into that, can you just give us a real broad overview of laser technology? Again, we did do an episode quite a while ago now, and you know maybe some of our listeners missed it. So, so there is an episode just on what is a laser. But can you just tell us, you know, about the technology, how how they broadly work, and then we can sort of go into the the sub sort of specialty of lasers, which is the fractionated ones. Yeah, sure, absolutely. Um, yeah, this is my passion, and I always we always love speaking about it. And and it's nice that it's evolved so much over the last you know number of years. Um, but lasers are basically a, a, a coherent wavelength of light, right? So um, when I'm teaching about lasers, I often tell uh, um, you know, people that it we we try to categorize it and and then sort of drift on beyond that. So you can either have coherent light lasers, which are basically one wavelength of light, um, or you have um, broader wavelengths of light, uh, non-coherent coherent light. Uh, j- these are your IPL devices. IPL is great. So very useful. You've got redness or brown. It's useful, but it's a broad wavelength and you can often treat large areas. Uh, but because it's not specific wavelength, it uh, doesn't target you know, darker skin types, for instance, quite as well. So it's almost, almost sort of more useful. It's more useful for lighter skin types, um, for brown and browns and reds, um, and you do get some a light amount of rejuvenation from it. When you're talking about lasers, they're very specific wavelengths. So, you, you know, we, we then split it up into vascular lasers, for instance. These are lasers that help background redness. They can help um, uh, telangiectasia, vessels, um, um, birthmarks like Port Weinstein, vascular birthmarks. Um, and they range in various wavelengths. So for, for the laser geeks like me out there, you're, you're lock, often looking at pulse dye lasers of 585, 595 nanometers. Uh, you can have KTP lasers as sort of 532 nanometers, uh, deeper wavelengths or longer wavelengths like um, the 1064 ND YAG, which will often penetrate deeper in skin, go after larger vessels and, and affect change there. Mm. Um, the other big class of um, uh, conditions that we treat is pigmentation. So 
pigmentation will then come into a group of lasers that target that. You're often your Alexandrite 755s, your NDAGs, your 1064. If you're looking at surface lesions, once again, your KTPs at 532s. Um, but these can either be a long pulse. So they put a, a they, it's basically like sl- what I describe as slow cooking. Mm-hmm. Um, so hair removal, for instance, you l- use a long pulse, which is a longer, longer duration of uh, pulse width and slow cooks the hair and gets rid of it. Or you can have ultra short wavelengths like your nanosecond Q-switch lasers or these days your picosecond uh, lasers. And what these do, they shatter pigment. So often they come from um, a background of uh, or, or the, the impetus to create these lasers are tattoo removal, uh, but then it progresses on to treating all sorts of other pigment as well um, and very useful. And that's really progressed on over a period of time. It's one of my special interests as well. The other big class of lasers that we deal with are, and also another big passion of mine is, is as you know, Jackie pointed out, are ablative lasers. These are, these are the big daddy of, of lasers there. When you have extremely severe changes, extremely deep lines and wrinkles, bad, uh, bad scarring, um, situations like that, um, uh, burns, uh, burn scars. Um, that's where these lasers sort of all developed and, and uh, became became uh, the forefront leaders of. The, they work very well. They're burning lasers. The chromophores water, so they burn away layers of skin or tunnel little grids in, in a fractional way. But the, the down, you, you can get great results, but the downside is the downtime. Mm. Um, so, you know, you're looking at at least two weeks recovery for most of these patients. Some of them can have residual redness for a number of weeks to months after that. Um, you need a lot of training, a lot of expertise for it because there's a lot of handholding and looking after after as well. And, and it's also very technical. So you do need to know what you're doing with, with the settings and techniques with it. Uh, the game changer, I guess, uh, was once um, fractional ablative lasers started coming on, on board, um, the concept of fractional non-ablative lasers started coming to a fore. So sort of in the early 2000s, um, the idea of harnessing water as a chromophore yet again, uh, but in a way where it was a non-ablative wavelength. So all of these wavelengths, if there's a, there's a, there's a chromophore chart or a wavelength chart, um, target various aspects, very, is, is targeted by various chromophores or taken up by various aspects of skin. And water is in your skin cells. So when they did this with ablative lasers, the next step was to do it with lasers that could um, heat up the water in the cells without actually completely burning, mm-hmm. which is what ablative lasers do. Um, and that's where lasers like your thulium, your, your fraxel lasers, for instance, sort of came on board early in the 2000s um, and enabled uh, practitioners and clinicians to provide improvements with tone and texture, pigmentation, um, turning your skin cells over, fine lines and wrinkling, very versatile devices, uh, but at much less downtime and without uh, without the burn type after effect of, a, of an ablative laser. So an ablative laser, when I tell patients to prepare for an ablative laser, I say that you're going to look like a burns victim. You do have two weeks where you where it's a burn and you're looking after yourself like a burn. Mm. With these non-ablative fractional lasers, um, they, you, you tell them that they're going to heal, like a, heal up like a sunburn. And based on the settings that you use, that recovery time can be anything from you know twenty four hours to five five to seven days. So, um, real game changer in terms of results 
Um, and certainly uh, for people who've got milder changes, younger changes, um, and uh, much less downtime, um, has really revolutionized what we can offer them. For the, for the simple people like me, the way I understand fractionated lasers as they're working on the skin, say you've got like a square of skin, I'm doing a square with my fingers, um, rather than take, you know taking off the whole surface like the ablative, you've got tiny, tiny little columns like pixels on a TV. Is that how you would describe it? Yeah. So I, I so a fra- so you can either have fractional ablative or fractional non-ablative. Mm. Um, and when I describe it to patients, very similar to yourself, I describe it as uh, making little micro columns, or, or you know, technically they're called microthermal zones. Um, I describe it as aerating a lawn when you use little, yeah, yeah. Uh, make little holes into your lawn yeah. to, to promote new 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 growth. That's what you're doing. Now, if you do it with an ablative laser, you promote, you, you burn from the very surface all the way to the desired depth. Yeah. Um, so that might be, you know, depending on what you use, maybe two or three millimeters. Um, if you use a non-ablative laser, you often bypass, that's the clever thing about the non-ablative lasers, you often bypass a bit of the epidermis um, and tunnel it into the lower levels of skin and it's taken up there. So uh, not only is the healing time quicker because... Uh, you're only affecting uh, a fraction of the skin. Uh, but because a lot of the epidermis is still intact, you still heal up and, and get back to work much quicker. Yeah. Um, and, and, it's, and you're putting energy in a much deeper level. Yeah, and, and just to sort of maybe a little bit more background as to where fraxel or fractionated lasers fit in, and, and correct me if I'm wrong, um, Chauvin, so you know, when you're doing a traditional CO2 treatment, as Jake alluded to, you're sort of wiping out the entire surface of the skin and, and then for the body to then recover takes longer time you've probably got you know and step in if i'm wrong your increased chance of probably scarring you've probably got limitations on on type of skin types that you can treat so obviously people that are darker you know higher chance of hyperpigment hypopigmentation and, and so on whereas what was revolutionary about the fraxel was that by treating fractions of the skin hence the name um it decreased your recovery time probably gave people with darker skin less chance of complications, but you might need more treatments. Is that, would that be a simple way of, of understanding like sort of where this revolution re-technology came from and what it was, de- what it was yeah. sort of designed to do? Yeah, ab- absolutely. I think you covered, covered that very well. I think, uh, so the big, big part of it is, you know, your recovery time is quicker. Um, you could treat all skin types, um, and with less chance of, uh, post-inflammatory hyperpigmentation, less complications full stop so less chances of infection less chance of uh, chances of scarring as well um and also it also enabled people to treat off the face yeah right uh, believe it or not and you you guys probably know but listeners might not the the face is actually much more forgiving than certain other parts of the body so you can treat the face much more aggressively with laser and energy based devices uh, than you can the, the neck and chest for instance uh, or and even more so than arms and legs what fractional non-ablative laser, Fraxel, has sort of been able to do is um, do be able to deliver that energy in a very safe non-ablative form. Um, and once again, they're lighter treatments. You often have multiple sessions, uh, but you can do it safely and get really nice results over a period of time. Yeah. Um, why is it that the face heals better? Is it to do with blood supply, stem cells? Like what is it about the, the, the structure of the skin in the face? I've seen some diagrams and it looks like it's different, but I'm not a doctor or a scientist, so I'm looking at it from a very simplistic perspective. But can you explain that? It's, it's multifactorial, but the big thing 
um, I believe with the face is is the palisabaceous unit. Right. So it's the, the 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 thickness of your skin and and the oil glands and hair follicles uh, where you've got your um, stem cells, your germinating cells coming through. So what does that mean? If you you can go, uh, you can treat at a more aggressive depth at a at a heavier fluence on the face. Um, whereas on parts like uh, hands, feet, arms, legs, uh, you don't have that. It, it's very different skin. It's almost completely different skin to what what you have on your face. Um, and neck and chest tends to be very delicate. Um, and um, even though it might be in, in certain people, you know, relatively sebaceous, it can still have a lot of problems with healing. So once again, more judicious settings and more conservative management. So Sherman, you've given us a great overview on lasers uh, and the background. What, what specific things are you then using Fraxel for? So you're looking at someone, you know, in your consult room, what are the common complaints that you're going to suggest Fraxel for? We... I get to once again, you know, the, the, the two big groups that, that end up getting coming in for Fraxel. Um, um, one group who've had, uh, who are often, um, you know, Fitzpatrick skin type one, two, three, lots of sun exposure over the years. Um, and they're starting to develop their first signs of, um, you know, er, sunspots and, and early skin cancer. So there are people that come in for a medical reason. Now, Fraxel was created as, created as an aesthetic device. Um, but interestingly, over time and by um, titrating the settings and being able to use more intensive settings, uh, we and, and other practitioners uh, overseas have been able to create um, some really good outcomes for patients who have sunspots, uh, potentially um, early skin cancer, and being able to slow that down, uh, wiping off and, and being able to give them a nice blank canvas to start again. Um, and then getting them onto a maintenance routine. Now, the other group of patients that come in are, are purely aesthetic group, and, and they'll come in for, um, you know, they, they're starting to know, notice some fine lines and wrinkles coming through. Uh, often it's associated with some dyschromia or some pigmentation as well, um, and they'd like an overall refresh. And, and for, for that, we don't, there's nothing better, I think, on the market uh, for a nice refresh for that sort of skin uh, concern uh, with minimal downtime. Uh, like Fraxel. I think it does a really beautiful job. I've been using it for 10, 10 years and I think we have four, four or five machines in the three clinics and, you know, they, they go all day. And, and particularly in my, my group of patients, our demographic here in Queensland, it works very well. Um, what I must also add is also, um, it's quite a useful, it's, it's a laser that has two wavelengths. We, um, Fraxel is just a brand, um, the laser that we're discussing on this, uh, you know, in this setting is the Fraxel Dual, um, and that comes with two wavelengths. Nineteen twenty-seven nan- nanometer is a surface wavelength, a, a thulium laser. So that's great. It picks up uh, pigment, mm-hmm. it picks up uh, some vascularity. It turns up, turns over the the scaling, the sunspots that you're getting. So it's very handy in terms of that, uh, and causes you to heal up like a sunburn for you know, five days. Uh, there's also a deeper wavelength that goes to maybe a, a, about a millimeter and a half into your skin, a 15, 15 nanometer erbium wavelength. Now you can either use that on your, on its own, or you can blend it in with your your thulium. So you can do four passes of thulium and then four passes of erbium. Um, and what that does is it does a lot more in terms of remodeling because of the depth. You get more collagen remodeling. It's great for fine lines and wrinkles, just overall improvement texture of skin. Uh, but it's also very handy for um, 
um, earlier acne scars, earlier scarring. Um, we use it for stretch marks, uh, post-surgical scars. It's it's. Uh, we have a protocol, for instance, we I still do some skin surgery, and when we do surgery, patients have their sutures out, and at one week post-treatment, they have their first fractal session over the scars because we have found that that. Uh, by using utilizing that and, and often combining it with vascular laser, you get a much better long-term surgical scar outcome as well. Um, so it's one of the most versatile devices that we have. It's a it's a very very useful platform, um, and really uh, caters to a number of skin types and a number of concerns. So presumably, you can still use your laser or your fractal laser for those you know patients in their 30s who are wanting to you know get a better skin quality maybe they've got really early pigmentation but they're not 40 and 50 with that more sun damaged you know obvious i guess snake-like skin um so you've, you've got prevention and sort of a more curative function of the the laser absolutely this, this is one of the lasers that we can use for younger individuals and and I uh, look. I have a team that uh, is predominantly um, women in their twenties, uh, both the clinicians and the administrative staff. Um, and most of them will have fractal, and, and you can have have it at various um, uh, settings. So you don't always have to have a, a heavy heavy uh, session of fractal, but most of them will have fractal as a as a, a, a treatment as a preventative treatment. My wife is uh, in her. A little bit older, about my age. I won't mention. I almost <laughs> slipped. Up, almost slipped up. Uh, um, but but she has preventative fractal as well. So you know, she grew up on the Gold Coast on the beach, and um, all of her sisters have developed many more sunspots and skin cancers uh, over the years. She hasn't had any skin cancers at all. Um, and um, I've done one CO two session when we first started uh, seeing each other about seven or eight years ago. But apart from that, it, it's been fractal that that has been maintaining her skin uh, um, alongside her skincare routine. And, and it's done a fabulous job. And um, she doesn't have, I mean, she runs the clinics um, uh, previously and um, it's it's a busy role with not a lot of downtime. So she would have a light fractal session where she could wear some makeup and get back to work within 48 hours. Um, so you could you can really titrate and, and based on your skin type and your age, you can really uh, make that suitable for your for your patients. I've got a couple of uh, consumer kind of questions or non, non-medical questions. So um, forgive me if they seem a little bit simple, um, but there, there are all the people like out there like me who aren't, who aren't medical. So can I get these laser treatments done in winter? Is there any potential contraindications with injectables? I mean, if I have a face full of fillers like I do, maybe it's all worn off now, but I did it one stage. Um, <laughs> is it going to like melt my fillers? Like just just sort of some of those sort of basic sort of questions that sort of people might not understand or might be worried about. Yeah, sure. Look, the to, to answer your first question, uh, we do it all year round. Right. Uh, and this is Brisbane that I, I practice in where... It's hot, um, yeah. Uh, you know, it's it's hot. Even our even our winters are, are quite sunny, and we're fortunate that it's reason relatively warm in our winter. So we do this all year round. Uh, there's a we we get patients to be very careful about how they look after their skin post treatment, um, and at least for one to four weeks after after treatment, depending on their uh, skin type and intensity of treatment, uh, they've got to be very careful with how you know how much time they spend in the sun. Uh, but this is a year year long treatment. There are some people who can only do it in summer. That's only the only time when their holidays are. So we'll do that then. 
but we just give them the appropriate aftercare. And so that's, um, I have no concerns about this. And uh, speaking to my colleagues in, in North America and in California, for instance, exactly the same story. They do it all year round, uh, just titrate the settings or, or, or give them the appropriate aftercare. Um, the second question was oh, just in um, relation to like if you've got like lots of fillers on board and I know it might be a silly oh, question yeah, but yeah. like are you going to cause yeah. any sort of melting or that's more a very f- common question <laughs> yeah, I like actually I'm not as silly no, as I that's, thought All right. that's, yeah that, that's true gents uh, uh, we, we get that question a lot um, um, the simple answer is no okay. um, it the depth and the heating that you get to really doesn't alter anything uh, in regards to where, where you're putting your fill, uh, fillers. Um, I, I, with filler, I don't tend to do the filler. There, there are situations where we'll do neurotoxins on the same day, for instance. So muscle relaxants injections, especially for patients who are out of town. Um, but I don't do the fillers on the same day. Uh, because I, I, I don't like the odds of increasing your risk of filler mm-hmm. infections. Um, but there's no, you know, if you, you space it a week apart, there's no problems about uh, sort of melting any pre-existing fillers or, or, or anything like that at all. Thank God I'm giving the right advice. <laughs> <laughs> now, for, for all the, and we've got like a ton of uh, listeners who are cosmetic injectors, nurses and doctors all around the world. And I'm, I'm sure a lot of them are going, okay, great, this is great, Shobin, but like, at what point, what are the indications I'm looking for where I no longer can probably give this person the, the optimal result with the tools that I have, which is toxins and, and fillers and, and uh, biostimulators? At what point do they refer to someone like yourself? Or what are they looking for in the skin? Or get or, their own machine. Or get their own machine, yes. Yeah, that's right. So, you know, there, there, there are plenty of injectors around the world that have their own machines and uh, you know, they, they're careful of doing it. Um, I, you know, with all of our practices, it's it's understanding the limitations of our practice, right? So uh, I know the limitations of my practice. Like you know, that's why I will then refer to the injectors within my practice or or the plastic surgeons for 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 a surgical um, uh, you know procedure if required. If you are purely injecting a practitioner and you're looking at a patient, and as Jake nicely uh, uh, sort of pardon the pun, painted it at the start, you look at the canvas and you go, look, you know, there's a lot of sunspots, there's scaling, there's redness, there's blotchiness, um, you know, really, uh, n- there's no injectable in the world that's going to fix that. Um, and you you need to keep in mind, right, I can volumize this, I can relax this, uh, but at the end of the day, once that's done, she's she, he or she will still have all the sunspots, the brown spots, the redness and the scaling, um, then, you know, definitely please refer on. You, you, it, it's always, there's no there's no shame in that. And and I think, you know, like I said, I refer on all the time. Um, and it's about giving patients the best possible uh, outcome because it then makes your work look good too. Yeah. Uh, because it, it yeah. you know, you're, you know, what, what I'm doing with laser, for instance, is uh, my, my plastic surgical friend often says it's, um, he'll, he'll, um, he'll do the, the scaffolding and then I'm sort of putting the roof on it. So, yeah. um, you know, it's about various layers and what you can do and, and being able to you know, sort of know, know your limitations in that space. The other thing with injectables also is, uh, if you have wrinkles there that you can't fill, don't try to overfill it. You know, some of the deeper lines and wrinkles on, you know, smokers' lines around the mouth, for instance, which are dreadful to, um, you, you can you, you can inject 
as much as you want and you just don't get the results. Um, um, and, uh, you can't do surgery for that and, you know, then, and refer for, for more aggressive, uh, or more intensive laser treatment because that, that often really produces a nice result. Um, and then I'll, the, a good practitioner will always bring the patient back to you for maintenance with their injectables because the synergy is great. Yeah. You know, that's, that's how this all works. There's, there's so much, we, we all do such beautiful work. Um, but more and more of us are becoming, uh, ultra specialized in what we do. Yeah. So, you know, I'm, you know, I, now I just do laser rejuvenation and scarring. That's the only really two big things that I do, maybe a bit of pigment. Um, and we're becoming more and more specialized that it's nice to be able to work in a team, um, and, and provide really nice specialized services that we're very good at. Yeah. And I think, um, that's an important point, Shobin, you know, like developing your own community of colleagues who specialize in different things in, you know, like you can't be good at everything. Right. And I think it's about doing what's best for your patients. So, you know, making an effort to reach out to have like a couple of good plastic surgeons that, you know, you know, their work, you trust them, you know, a dermatologist like yourself. So you've got this community of people who you can share your patients with without being fearful that you're going to be commercially, you know, losing out because those patients might come back. I mean, if you approach it from, you know, a perspective of love of wanting to do the right thing for your patients and having that community of people around you, then it can only do great things because at the end of the day it's if you look after your patient um you know that is what it what that is what it is all about it comes with a bit of experience as well i guess when you're first starting off and when i first started off it was all gee i don't want uh, you know number one i don't want to look like i don't know stuff or yeah. i can't do stuff um yeah. and i also feel you you often feel like you know if you if you refer on are you going to lose that patient but you know, as you become more experienced and you become more comfortable in your own skin and your own practice, I think that's when you understand that uh, we all start the same way and then we all fall into our own niches. And it's being able to um, being able to work work collaboratively. Um, that really uh, that, that's very exciting for me now. You know, yeah. it's taken me ten years of private yeah. practice, but now I've you know I've got a, a whole phone book, people on speed dial I can get in touch with to do. Yeah. If I need a blepharoplasty, I've I've done a few blefs. I, yeah. I didn't enjoy doing it. You know, <laughs> yeah. you want someone who do you want someone who does a lot of blefs to do the blef. Right? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, you so that it's nice to have a, a group of patients where you can cross refer and work nicely collaboratively. Yeah, and hopefully this podcast helps with that. I mean, you know, we've got episodes, you know, 140 odd episodes of people from all different areas of the world and different backgrounds and specialties. So hopefully this has provided a bit of a resource for people. But one of the challenges, and, and this is a question for Jake and for yourself, but maybe we'll just start with Jake first, is, you know, the challenge of having that discussion with a patient who wants that instant gratification. How do you explain to them that, you know, there is a treatment that they're going to probably need to undertake or a series of treatments they're going to need to undertake to get their skin to a point where you can do your magic or the work that you do is better than what it would be if they didn't have these treatments done. Because I know it's a challenge. People mm. want things now. They want to take a pill. You know, they want the injection now and it's all fixed. This sort of concept of a long tail type of procedure yeah. or, or project seems to be a challenge for most injectors. So I'd be interested to see how you two guys sort of approach that conversation because I do hear that a lot from injectors is our patients just don't want to wait that long or they yeah. don't understand. I reckon it's much easier for someone like Chauvin because right. it's a derm, so people are going to go there for skin. Yeah. <laughs> Whereas for me, I, I think that's where clinical photography has been my biggest uh, 
sort of change in the last few years. Yeah. You know, all injectors to, to an extent take the old photo, but unless you really scrutinize what you're doing and explain to your patients, you know, these are your features, this is what you look like in, in repose and, and expression, and look at that skin quality, look at that laxity just under the jawline. And that can help you explain, well, you know, jawline filler isn't going to give you that tightness or going to get rid of that color on, on the cheek or whatever. So I think photos are really powerful. Right. And, um, you know, most injectors now, when they take their photography um, really seriously, it's helped them. It's, it, you know, you're not selling, you're, you're, it's helping your education of your patient. Um, but uh, yeah, I, I'm, you know, just like we were saying, I work with some dermal therapists in, in my two or three clinics and I don't claim to be, you know, an expert with the devices. That's why they go to them. So we sort of work in a very sort of a collaborative approach um, and sometimes, you know, patients book in thinking they needed injectables and it's very clear after about five or 10 minutes that actually they probably want to go and see the dermal therapist or even I'll refer to Charles, who's the plastic surgeon for, for you know, an erbium laser because their real issue is perioral lines. And like Chauvin said, there's no injectable in the world that's going to get rid of those. I've seen some real stuff ups where people have <laughs> yeah. tried to do the lips and toxin around the mouth and then they use a cannula and everything just looks like Homer. Simpson, but <laughs> by the end of it. So, um, yeah, I, I think just, you know, talking to your patient honestly and, yeah. and using the photos to illustrate that. Yeah. What, what's your take, Chauvin? Yeah, I, I agree, agree completely there. I think uh, uh, honest discussion, frank discussion at the start. Um, I don't, I, I listen, but I don't pander. So, you know, yeah, I, that. I guess that's why they're seeing, you know, both you and me as as specialists in our field. They're, they're seeing us for, um, you know, they they'll they'll come in with you know, potentially a, 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 um, a preconceived notion of what they're looking to achieve. But we then have to navigate um, the safe or appropriate way to get them to somewhere near there. It may not not always be one hundred percent what they're looking at. Um, so it's about educating, um, and, and also letting them know that, you know, from, from, from me, from day one on my first consult, uh, most patients will understand that there's no, you know, one, you know, one, one magic bullet. It's, it's often ripe. So, you know, even, even there, there are scars, for instance, where I can remove a scar 90% with the one treatment, but even then I'll go, look, you know, you're probably going to get 80, 90% improvement. And then we'll do a few small things after that. You might get a bit of, you know, do a little bit of laser resurfacing, get rid of that scar, but perhaps you can get some filler at the end of it just to raise it up a tiny bit. Um, so, and, and then we'll always, always get them onto uh, a maintenance routine and we're getting an understanding. So education is vital. Um, and uh, Jake, I can't agree more about photography as well. So that is something uh, with Brisbane Skin since day dot six years ago to seven years ago, we've been, uh, we've absolutely been militant about photography. We, you know, every time the patient comes in, uh, they get photographs. Um, there's a few reasons for this. Uh, patients often, as you know, forget what they started off looking like. So it's nice to have uh, the photographic documentation to uh, compare. Um, but the other thing that we've know we found very useful is it um, it gives us an audit. We can catch uh, infections, for instance. Uh, if a therapist takes some photos and um, you know, then it's reviewed by me, and I, I pick something that 
uh, might be an early infection, we can we can jump on it quickly. Um, um, I do a lot of telehealth as well because I've, we've got multiple clinics and I can't be on site for all of them. Um, we will uh, they'll they'll send me uh, reports. Uh, either post-treatment or pre-treatment and I can monitor that um, and give them some advice even when I'm not on site so um, in one way I guess um, it's a it's a not a great thing because even when I'm I'm on holidays I'm I'm on my uh, on my phone and on my on my computer looking at photos um, which I'm you know being a being a a bit of a skin geek it's a it's 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 not not that bad but uh the the upshot of it is is this high level supervision that we can uh, myself and the other practitioners can offer the patients as well over time i know it's got nothing to do with this podcast i'm just curious to know what your camera uh or photography setup is like what what imaging and cameras do you have and and what software are you using we use the Vectra H uh, H two maybe. Okay, so it's a three D uh, camera. That's it. Three D camera. So we use that, and and then we also have standard photography systems as well, it's with a with a, a standardized uh, SLR that that sits on a on a uh, tripod where yeah. with with markings up on the wall. Mm-hmm. Um, so they they get for for anything smaller, they'll they'll get that. Um, anything. Uh, any any larger procedure, medium to large procedure, they all get the vector three D photographs done. Yeah, I mean, you guys are artists at the end of the day. I mean, you're, you're doctors, but you're you're artists. You're you're, you're using people's bodies and faces my, as, my, as your canvas. My, my high my high school art teacher would really <laughs> not agree with yeah. that. <laughs> <laughs> well, you are. You know, you're looking at symmetry. You're looking at you know proportions. Yeah. You're looking at tone, texture. You're, you guys are artists, right? So take good photos, get good equipment, stop taking photos on your bloody phones and your iPads. Like mm. get it. Like if you were like a painter or a, would you be taking yeah. photos of your artwork with your phone to like put out to yeah. the public? No, you'd be taking proper photos. You'd be curating them correctly. Yeah. So please, you know, if everyone, <laughs> I think, I think it's getting better, but you still see occasionally, you know, photos on, on iPhones and all this sort of stuff. And it just, it doesn't yeah. help. It doesn't help anyone. Yeah. yeah, no, it's a, it's a, it's a pet peeve for me as well. And, and it, it's very, uh, because I uh, because I do so many presentations and things as well, um, and then when I'm I'm trawling the database of photographs, and the, you know, if a clinician in my practice has had great results, but and and even last week there was uh, an outstanding result that I cannot use because patient uh-huh. was uh, smiling on her. Uh, post-treatment photographs whereas in the you know all photographs are supposed to be expressionless uh, but she was smiling and basically just erased any of the improvements that uh. you can see um so and and so it's it's about reinforcing we we spend yeah. a lot of time with the team sort of just yeah. uh, reinforcing how important the standardized photography is and and a system like the vector for instance has been um, um has been a godsend for us over the last few yeah. I, I, I didn't adopt that for till probably about three years ago. Yeah. Uh, but um, after speaking to some of my surgical colleagues in, in Italy who, who who were laughing at my photographs and said, look, <laughs> how come you're not using Vector? You've got such great results, but you can't show how good they are because you're not using these uh, 3D images. So um, it was great. It, yeah. It's, it's uh, really made a big difference for us. Yeah. Uh, a little tip for people that don't want people to smile for their photos, give them the invoice right before you take the photo. <laughs> <laughs> Never have that problem again, Shobin. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. <laughs> so, why don't we go back to, um, I guess, the process of Fraxel? What What does this look like from the patient perspective? How do they prepare? Um, you know, what, what happens on the day? How tolerable is it? What happens when they go home? And and when do they see you again? And you know, and how many might they have? Okay. So, um, 
usually they have an, have an initial consult. So we don't tend to do these procedures on the same day as their consult. So they'll have an initial consult, whether that's in, in person or if you're from regional or pre, pre-pandemic, we, we had overseas patients as well. But, um, you know, if um, we, we, we have an initial consult that could be with me, it could be with one of the, cl- the other clinical team. Um, when we do that, we assess their skin type and what we're treating. So, you know, Fraxel being very, um, as I said, it's quite, um, uh, quite useful for a number of conditions, uh, being quite versatile. Uh, we then um, base our, uh, our initial plan and settings based on what, what we're trying to treat. Is it pigmentation? Is it, we can even use it for superficial melasma, for instance. Um, we can, uh, is it scarring? Is it rejuvenation? Is it sunspot? So those are your broad categories. Um, we, if it is, if it's conditions like um, uh, pigmentation or melasma, we'll often pre-treat them with medications as well. So there might be topical uh, faders. Uh, there's even oral uh, fading agents that they'll be on for a couple of weeks before the treatment. Um, and um, But you know, some of the other, treat- other, other conditions we're treating, they don't need to be on any medications beforehand. Mm-hmm. Um, on the day of treatment, they'll come in, uh, they'll be consented, they'll have all their, their photographs, as we discussed, taken. Um, and then they have a topical anesthetic applied for an hour beforehand. Um, now, for most patients, especially for lighter settings, if you're treating scars, if you're treating focal areas, uh, or if you're treating on lighter settings for pigmentation, uh, that's all the anesthetic that you require. There are some patients who will have combination procedures. So if they've got um, uh, more severe damage and we have to use much heavier settings or if we're combining it with spot treatment with an ablative laser um, or um, you know, we, if we're using a vascular laser alongside vascularity uh, or if they have sensitive skin type, we can then increase their level of anesthesia. So we might give them a light sedative. Uh, we can use some uh, Penthrox, for instance, as an inhaled anesthetic for the procedure. If it's very, you know, sometimes we can give them more sedation if required. It's rarely an issue with mm-hmm. uh, Fraxel uh, because it is relatively well tolerated. Uh, but, you know, we, we have the option of doing that. The procedure itself usually takes you know thirty to sixty minutes, depending on the number of areas you have it treated. So if it's your, if it's your face, most of my uh, in my clinics, it's mainly done by the nurses and therapists, the Fraxel, um, and most of them have much better technique than I do, and it'll take them <laughs> 20, 30 minutes to do do the procedure. Um, face, neck, and decolletage will take uh, maybe 45, 50 minutes for them to do. Um, immediately after that. Um, you'll, and, and it depends. So some patients will use some growth factor syrups, for instance, uh, some stem cells, some, um, you know, some patients we, uh, will, especially if they're looking at quicker healing time, we might use some PRP, um, as a dressing, um, and, uh, we'll follow that up and immediately after that apply just a very, very basic, basic, um, 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 greasy moisturizer that called QB intensive, which is like a, like a Vaseline type uh, uh, moisturizer. That's for the first day. Now, after this, after the first day, they can start, um, um, you know, easing off on the greasy moisturizer, going on to something a little bit lighter, hyaluronic acids and, and growth factor serums. Um, they they usually prescribe some antibiotics and antiviral tablets just to re- reduce your risk of any infections. Um, painkillers, um, you know, they, they, if you have a heavier treatment, you might get a, you know, something like Panadine Fort for just one night, for instance, just so that you're, you're comfortable. But most patients find that they're either not using it at all or after the first night, they're not using much. 
The healing time for all of this is um, based on the setting. So some people have a light fraxel, like I mentioned earlier on, is, is 24 hours. They, they're back to work wearing a light mineral makeup the next day. The, the heaviest version of a fraxel that you can do is probably still only five to seven days recovery time. Yeah. Okay, so at five to seven days, it might still be a little bit pink. You can wear makeup, you can uh, wear your moisturizers. You don't probably don't use your active products yet, uh, but you can get back to work at five to seven days. Um, at our clinic, we have a philosophy of, of close follow-up. So usually, um, especially if you're a first-time patient with all of this, it, it will, we'll see you at day one, day seven, and one month. So one 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 day, one month, uh, one week, and one month, uh, just to you know, watch your progress, make sure you're healing up appropriately, swabs if required, low-level LED light for healing sometimes. Uh, but we, we sort of um, uh, make this as comfortable and as quick a recovery period as we can for, for most of our patients. And um, to answer your question about how many treatments, uh, it really depends on what you're targeting. Uh, for instance, if you're doing this with scarring, it's almost, you know, depending on type of scar, you're looking at four to six treatments. You space it about a month apart. Um, if you're using it for melasma treatments, for instance, uh, it's between one to three sessions based on how much melasma, superficial melasma is picked up um, on each session. If you're using it for um, just um, maintenance therapy with a lighter setting, um, I might have patients having one session every three or four months as a maintenance therapy. Um, and if you're using it as um, an overall big rejuvenation, so if you don't want to do ablative laser and you're using, but you but you want something with a, a, a fair um, fair outcome uh, with you know, less downtime than ablative, then um, seven days recovery, um, and you're doing one big session, um, you know that they then do again in twelve to twenty four months um, as as their as their big treatment. Yeah. And in terms of seeing your results, I mean, how, how quickly do they come? And I know, we're, you know, there's a lot of different factors we're talking about, a lot of different conditions. So your melasma and your pigment probably a little bit faster. But when it comes to like things like collagen and elastin, how long does it take for, for you to see the results on that? Because what we're doing, right, we're you sort of like breaking it down and stimulating the body to produce more. So how long, how long does that take? And, and when are you going to sort of see your, your, final, your final presentation or your final reveal? Yeah, um, it... The the as as you pointed out uh, very correctly the the surface stuff is is you know quite quick right so as as soon as you exfoliate you see the surface improvements with the pigment and, and things like that but with the remodeling with the collagen and, and with the, um, uh, the the improvements of that the regeneration um, I usually tell patients to make a decision at sort of about the three month point uh, so six to twelve weeks six weeks. So I'll usually see them at about four to six weeks because if there's any of the surface things that haven't come away, uh, we might go back in and just do a little touch up. If there's a brown spot that hasn't come off, we can just use a pigment laser and get that off or do a bit of fraxel over that. Uh, but but at about three months, you get uh, a relatively good indication of how much improvement you've had overall with the with with the with the remodeling. Well, it sounds like an unbelievably versatile product, to be completely honest. So I'm sold. <laughs> <laughs> well, next, next next time you're up in Brisbane, yeah, yeah, yeah 100%. Are there any? Um, I don't know, like. Do you use any other lasers in in conjunction? You did say you sometimes do a spot, um, you know, pigmentation laser if it hasn't quite lifted or or it was missed. But do you use any other lasers? You know, particularly or deliberately with the Fraxel? Was the Fraxel generally you know covering all of those indications? Well, Fraxel does a very good job in covering a lot of things. Um, but 
um, I'm a big fan of combination treatment. That's that's one of the things that I've sort of uh, been been sort of um, involved in over over the last decade. Um, and um, it was initially described uh, one of our colleagues out in Sydney, uh, Chris Kearney, a dermatologist over there in Bondi, I think, uh, sort of described uh, what's called photo photofacial uh, more than uh, probably 10 to 15 years ago, where he was talking about combining IPL um, with Fraxel. Um, so you do a, a round of IPL first um, and combine that with Fraxel to give uh, uh, lower settings, uh, better uh, lower complications, better outcomes. Um, and since then, a lot of us have been combining treatments because that 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 works very well. So you can often combine a, um, a pigment laser first, where you where I describe it as priming the lesion. So if you have you know discrete. Uh, big freckles or darker spots. You'll low setting on a on a pigment laser to prime that. Um, if they've got vascularity, you know vessels around the nose, around the face, you might uh, do a vascular laser immediately after that, and then do fraxel. So you'll you'll potentiate the effect. Similarly, you can do IPL beforehand. Um, with my patients, we'll have fraxel. We'll combine it with an ablative laser if they've got areas of deeper scarring or or, uh, or more resistant or thicker uh, sun damage, um, and um, also out um oh the other thing sometimes i'll even do microneedling so um the if if you're looking at patients who've got uh deeper scars um and the fraxel can get you know 1550 can get to about a millimeter and a half i might put it in a radio frequency microneedling so into some of the deeper scars or subsize some of the deeper scars at the same time um injectable wise as i mentioned previously i'm, I'm happy to do a, a neurotoxin on the same day as well fantastic yeah. you mentioned briefly um sort of your, your PRP or your stem cells and, um, you know, like things like vitamin C as well. How much do you find that they actually help? I mean, because it seems that there's a pretty, there's two camps on this in the industry, people that think that it's a load of rubbish and none of these, these things actually do much. And then there's others that think, yeah, actually it is that there's some good utility there. I've seen, I've seen some results. What's your observations on, on those sort of adjunct serums and, and sort of uh, creams that you can put on in combination with this? I think, I think the main controversy is, is in the actual, uh, agent that's being applied, uh, because I think uh, there's enough literature, enough studies now um, that describes um, what's now very clearly termed laser-assisted drug delivery. Um, so there, you know, we know that if you utilize a fractionated laser, either ablative or non-ablative, um, you can uh, cause these little microcolumns to then be able and and and. Um, uh, denature the epidermis enough for it to absorb these agents better. Um, and so I guess in 2021, the controversy is which agent actually does anything, right? Um, so you know, one of my good friends and, and mentors in, in Melbourne, he he says PRP is a load of rubbish. Um, <laughs> I'm and, guessing that is. Um, <laughs> 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 yes, yes, you may. <laughs> uh, but I think it's very useful as it, it does cut down my healing time significantly for a lot of patients who have these procedures, probably in the, in the um, a region of about 20%. Wow. Um, and in, in, the, um, in the space of scars, um, and obviously we, we need more rigorous studies, um, anecdotally and from what I can see, it can make a really nice start to volumizing. The other agents, uh, vitamin C, you know, stem cells, uh, there, there are other agents, you know, people are putting everything into it. 
Um, I think we need more uh, conclusive studies in, in regards to watching that space and, and really seeing what, what makes a difference. Uh, we very routinely do it with scars, with um, uh, steroids, for instance, so uh, laser-assisted drug delivery for hypertrophic and uh, keloid scarring. Uh, we use steroids. We use agents like 5-fluorouracil. Um, we'll often even, you know, combine that with some Botox at uh, at the same time for the for the scars as well. So, you know, it. Um, I think there's no doubt uh, laser assisted drug, drug drug delivery is um, is something that's very useful. It's about what sits nicely uh, as the external agent going in, um, and that's really going to. Uh, become quite prominent over the next five years, I believe. So I'm, I'm curious how you're using the neurotoxins for the hypertrophic scars. Are you, you know, using a traditional injection technique, or are you stamping it through, or what's your protocol? Um, with the with the hypertrophics and keloids, these days I I, I tend to inject it straight in. Um, I, I've used the stamping technique in the past. I, I don't. I, I find it. Uh, um, it's probably not giving me the results or giving me enough. The, a lot of these scars are quite thick and they, they just need to be sort of penetrated uh, appropriately or it gives me a little more um, uh, little more control on where in the scar that I'm putting the, 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 um, the, the um, uh, neurotoxin uh, and, and similarly any of the other agents I'm putting into it. So I, I tend to just use a standard um, um, standard needle. Fair enough. And same dilution as your cosmetic um, toxins, or do you sort of hyper dilute it? No, I don't. I don't hyper dilute. I keep it. Uh, I, very very similar dilution. So the uh, the idea is to be able to uh, once again put it uh, put it in air, you know, discrete areas. So I'd, I'd like keeping keeping the volume low. Fantastic. Yeah. Right. So what would people be looking at roughly to? get a course or a single treatment done? I mean, I know that your prices are not sorely probably universal, but just to give people an indication of what they could be looking at. Yeah, look, there's a, you know, to be, to be fair, there's a, there's a range, I guess. And, um, in terms of fraxel treatments, it depends on what they're having done. So, you know, you could get, you could get one scar done for a couple hundred dollars, for instance. Um, and whereas, um, uh, people are getting acne scars on the face with a therapist, it's probably somewhere in the region of 500, $600 a session. Um, if you're having heavier fraxels done or you're having a fraxel in combination with, uh, you know, spot ablation treatment or, or some of the other combination treatments, you're probably looking at somewhere in the region of $2,000, uh, Australian for, for the treatment. You know, and there, once again, if you, if it's repeated treatments, you know, if it's a series of treatments with my clinics, usually, usually there's, um, uh, they, you know, they, they, the clinical team sort of work out a package. And similar to yourself, Jake, uh, when, when you're advising patients about who go price matching and shopping for, for their injectables, uh, check, you know, everyone says they have a Fraxel um, and that's fine, uh, but check as to number one, are they actually using the Fraxel machine or are they using a Fraxel laser or are they using an alternative uh, laser? And if so, you know, just check what they're using. Uh, Number two, the credentials of the clinic. Uh, Make sure that you're going through, you know, at the end of the day, it's a laser on your face. So um, make sure you're uh, getting it done at a a reputable um, uh, clinic. 
Uh, and number three, check with the uh, check about the the experience of your operator and what their what their qualifications and training is as well. Um, and that varies. You know, regulations vary from state to state, uh, but you're always entitled as a consumer to ask ask the tough questions because they need to be. You know, I I need to be as a clinician be able to show you what I can do. Um, my credentials, my experience, and, and my portfolio, which is you know, ask them to show you what what they've uh, what they what they've done in the past with the, that particular treatment. So um, um, it's not just about price as well. I couldn't agree more. Now, final question for our listeners who are practitioners, uh, maybe dermal therapists, injectors, nurses, whoever. How do they get involved in um, potentially training using Fraxel or um, you know buying machine even? Who, who is the provider? And uh, how long would you say that training takes? So the provider, provider. So first of all, Fra- Fraxel, so Salter are the uh, um, uh, distributors and, and run Fraxel in um, uh, in Australia, um, and um, they're they're great. They're very um, approachable, very um, uh, supportive company to work with, and I've, I've been involved um, with their devices and, and uh, being on their uh, advisory board for things over you know over a decade now. I'm, I'm quite happy to vouch for that um their customer their, their background support in the training is excellent so if you end up buying a device uh, a fraxel device then you'd obviously buy it through the company uh, they can do some onboard they'll do a, a significant amount of onboard training there for you for for you and, and your clinical team uh, it is a very delegatable device so like i said i haven't actually uh, uh picked up a, a fraxel handpiece in probably eight years now. Um, so after doing the initial fraxels myself, uh, then it, it's become something where we've written the protocols for our clinical team to, to run. Um, and once the training's set in place and they've got the experience and a clinic like ours, for instance, we, we clock, we have uh, all our all our new team members, for instance, have have a logbook and they have to clock X number of hours per device before. Um, so they get supervised training on, and then clock that, um, unsupervised uh, hours and then uh, standard hours after that. Um, but it is something, you know, after uh, you know, the supportive training with Salter, I think, you know, within a few months, you should be up and running and uh, be able to, um, once you, I always tell a clinician or a practice owner uh, who, uh, with a laser license, learn the device yourself first understand the nuances, the techniques, um, complications, speak to others who uh, may have been doing it for a number of years before you because there there's certain things that might look like a big complication for you. Someone get, breaks out and, and pimples after a procedure. Um, that's not that uncommon and you can manage that. So there, there are a number of things like that. So speak to people who've been using it, speak to the company, um, and then learn the device yourself and then also um, be able to, uh, to, to train your team after that. Fantastic. Well, thank you, Shobhan. That's been a phenomenal chat, very educational. Even though we've had discussions on lasers before, it's always good to you know, take a deep dive in one particular device and, and it's been so good to sort of get your insights and wisdom and experience on this. So thank you so much. Um, we're going to put all of your details. Um, if people want to get in contact, we'll put that at the bottom of the podcast description when that comes out, which will be, when's it coming out? We, we always do this. We always do this. But in the, <laughs> while Jake gets the date, I'm just going to say for anyone that wants more information on Fraxel device in particular, they can head over to um, Salter's, uh, well, they've recommended two pages to have a look at. One is 
um, Fraxel AU on Instagram and also Thamage AU. So you can go and get some more information there. And I've had a look at it myself and it's, it's, it's quite a good Instagram feed because there, you know, there's no sort of like memes and photos of acai bowls and things like that. It, you know, it's, it's very, it's very, nothing, not that there's anything wrong with acai bowls, but very like educational. So maybe head on over there. And what was the date? Jane? It'll be the 22nd of October, Friday, the 22nd. Excellent. Thank you, Shobin. It's uh, nice to meet you. I've, I've seen you, I saw you talking at uh, Cosmeticon earlier in the year, but I didn't get to say hi, but it was a great talk. And uh, when I'm next back up at uh, Brisbane, maybe we'll catch up for a drink or something. Yeah. Yeah, I look forward to it. And, and both both yourself, uh, Jake and, and David, if, if you're up here, I'd love to catch yeah, up. Yeah, for sure. If I'm there, when I'm next down in Sydney, we'll, uh, we'll catch up soon. But thank you for having me. It's been an absolute pleasure. And it's uh, nice, nice to speak to like-minded, uh, aesthetic individuals. Thanks, no thanks, worries. Joe. Take care of yourself. Yeah, no worries. Have, have a good rest of the year and good Christmas. And hopefully we'll see you soon. Enjoy. Yeah. See you later. All right. Take care, guys. No, bye-bye. Bye. For our latest news, upcoming guests and episode topics, follow us on Instagram at Inside Aesthetics Podcast. Using the link in our Instagram profile, you can easily email us, text us, apply to be a guest on the show, follow our personal accounts on Instagram, and even show your love and support us on Patreon. 